I was really interested to find out that the, the original meaning of the word passion, like etymologically, is to, is to suffer for something that you care about. Welcome back to another episode of the Distance Hiker podcast. I'm your host, Matthew, if you did not already know that, and this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. You are in the right place for all long distance hiking, predominantly long distance hiking stories where I share the tales behind the hikers, the people behind the poles as Andy from the Hiker Podcast like to say, which is an excellent saying because that's very much what I do here. Hikers just like you and me. So I bring to you another episode, episode 23. And this week I have a wonderful guest on called Charlie McRae Todd. Charlie is a really interesting individual. In fact, all my guests are interesting individuals. I really enjoyed Charlie's story because it had a really different angle on it, which was Charlie is diabetic. Yes, you probably know what having diabetes means. And I'm guessing you know the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes. If you don't, don't worry. Charlie does go on to that on the show and explains it very, very well. But we got into a really interesting chat about managing his diabetes on the trail and his relationship with the condition how that relationship has changed over time we also talk at large about our relationships with our bodies and i think that's a discussion that could be continued into a a further show Um, charlie was very eloquent at discussing that perhaps more so than myself this is why i get guests on here because they're better explaining things than me and we or he talked about Walking is a very primal and human way to sort of rediscover your natural rhythm and connecting with yourself. We also talk about accepting one's body and its limitations in order to be able to appreciate our individual abilities and strengths that we do have despite those limitations amongst a whole plethora of original additional sorry topics so it's a really interesting show with a fascinating guest who i really enjoyed listening to um you'll not hear much of him in the show because charlie really does talk a lot um in a very eloquent and lovely way about it um and about the things that he's passionate about and i'm really happy that i have shared a platform with him enable for him, enabling him to kind of share his message with you my audience so charlie thank you for joining me on the show um and hopefully you'll be back again soon. So if you're listening to this, thank you. But I now bring you my wonderful and incredibly special audience who I appreciate. Another episode, episode 23 of the Distance Hike podcast. Enjoy the show and I will speak to you again at the end. Because you were on the Hiker podcast uh, so that's yeah, where I saw you, and yeah, I saw the article Alan. on Hiker, and your posts on the end to end trail as well. So plenty, plenty of stuff to go at. Um, so 
I'm gonna start with where I start with all my all my guests, which is for you um, as a sort of outdoorsman and a hiker, and also an actor. I want to get into that a little bit. Um, where did your interest in the outdoors begin at its kind of earliest point? Right. So yeah, I think it pretty much started uh, from being locked out of the house when I was a, when I was a kid and like a lot of young boys, I think, I think I gravitated towards computer games at about, I don't know, the age of seven or eight. And my mother is a real Luddite and saw, saw her little boy sitting in front of a computer screen and, and was just like, hell no. So would lock me out of the house. And yeah, we were, we were lucky enough to be living uh, out in a tiny little hamlet in Berkshire. Uh, so there was a good amount of woods around some lovely walks and we had a, and I had access to, to uh, a nice big garden. And I remember being quite young, locked out of the house and just a bit stumped initially. I was a bit like, right, okay, what am I supposed to do out here? Like, there's nothing to explode. There's no coins to collect. Like, how am I supposed to entertain myself? And I was genuinely flummoxed for a couple of hours. And slowly through that, act of being bored which i think is such an interesting modern cultural phenomenon that a lot of us are really quite frightened of for some reason that that feeling of boredom we, we don't like it and there's there's a lot of resistance um around being bored or feeling bored uh but through that i think i came to start to develop a slightly imaginary relationship with the natural landscape around me. And it's Berkshire, it's hardly epic valleys, but I kind of went to the woods with my stick and, you know, started sort of poking stuff about a bit and just walked, man. Like I just walked around and would, create little games for myself and just ramble and meander and get to know the trees and the plants and just became kind of familiar with them in a way that developed quite a deep relationship with the natural world just you know through hours and hours and hours of being in that kind of environment um and you know, then we were a fairly outdoorsy kind of family. So, you know, I've, I've got lots of extended family in Scotland. So we'd be up, um, up kind of, you know, doing, doing like day hill walks and, and, you know, long, long walks with a picnic basket, that kind of, that kind of thing. Nothing, nothing really, um, on the multi-day hiking side of things, nothing quite that intense but uh there was just a, a general appreciation uh for 
explore just the, the natural world and the natural beauty and I, I think that kind of yeah just like trickled into me over the years great answer i love the idea of your mum kicking you out you know turfing you away from sonic or whatever you're playing at that time to yeah. thrown into nature i mean as uh, i've got two kids myself and um there have been times where i've done the same thing my kids don't see don't get too much time on games and stuff but we do have them um but uh you know when they've been on you know when we've had like an, a sunday where they've just been on a tablet all day or something and i like pull them from their hands right get in the garden i enjoy that transition and seeing that well the transformation from two kids who are sort of kind of gazing up at the the, the bright lights in the sky you know there's the sunshine and and then suddenly they kind of look around and don't know what to do with themselves, but then they find a stick or they find something that's interesting or a bug. And then that leads to something else. And that, that kind of sense of playfulness evolves from games to gamify, you know, playing games in nature and finding things around them that are interesting and, that, you know, born, kind of born out of that boredom. I think it's really important. It's definitely something you take away to adulthood. Um so and I'll go into that a little bit later because I think it's quite an interesting topic. But um, after, sort of as, as you got older, did you hold on to that appreciation, enjoyment of nature? Or was it something you kind of lost again and came back to at a later point? Yeah, so I think as I grew up, I became very much a, a product of modern Western society generally in that my time outdoors really needed to have a point to it. Uh, I would, I would do quite a lot of cross country mm. running. What do you mean by that? Cycling. Okay. So, I I suppose so there's a bit of a lag, I mean, bit of a lag to the line. Just. Um... Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, so I think yeah, just just in case you, you're sort that, of getting my. Yeah, you might might get my words a bit later. Just bear me two seconds. I'm just going to turn my camera off because it tends to improve the audio quality. Uh, so yeah, we'll sure. just we'll just do this one as audio, I think. Yeah, cool. So um, yeah, uh, carry on. Um, so so yeah, so I think that what I mean by that is how I would go outside and still kind of enjoyed being outside, but it would need to have a point to it. It would need to be for exercise it would need to be in the pursuit of self-betterment it would need to be timed it would need to be very goal orientated and i think that as i grew up you know the idea of walking in particular seemed a bit strange to me almost like why would you ever unless you couldn't run or cycle or drive why would you ever choose to walk between two places like it's just slow and you know you could just run there get there faster and then use the time that you've saved to do something else that that you want to do and i think that it wasn't until really the pandemic uh, and which kind of coincided with me starting to look into hiking some longer, some longer trails. Um, but I'd say that sort of, you know, my first couple of routes, I did the Cleveland, I tried to do the Cleveland way 
uh, first off and failed miserably. I got to Whitby just with with her, just horrendous blisters um, and and had to and had to tap out after after four days. Um, but that did that give you the the bug? Did after that was that? Did you get the kind of sense of determination? Like I enjoyed this despite the blisters, and I just want to do do more of it. Yes, it was a really interesting one where I came I came kind of into into a slightly strange place with my diabetes at the time because as a type one diabetic one of the most dangerous things is uh, getting infection, particularly in your feet. So sadly, still lots of type one diabetics have to have their feet amputated. And you, you need to be really, really careful as a diabetic with any blisters, any sores, um, because you're, you're healing so much slower than a regular person and it's very easy for it to get infected it's very easy for it to spread into the whole foot and become a really nasty situation where you just have to have have it removed and so i had to i had to call that walk um i think i think really sort of out of uh yeah out of concern for my feet particularly because I'm diabetic and looking back that was definitely the right thing to do at the time and I went back a year later and completed the route and that was that was a really nice feeling um because I think sometimes it's easy probably to to get into quite a negative mindset if you have a bad first experience of a of an activity or an experience or a sport to be like you know what i'm crap at this yeah sure like i'll just go find something else i'm better at because this isn't fun and but it didn't put you off in that way obviously uh, i think i think it just i don't know i got a bit of a bee in my bonnet about it and i think that there were (laughs) i think you know with long distance walking, even though, I mean, it's, it's so interesting how the suffering is, is so synonymous with the, the, I don't want to call it pleasure, but like the, that kind of, that passion, that passion for, for being out there. And I was really interested to find out that the, the original meaning of the word passion like etymologically is to is to suffer for something that you care about and i think that you know we're so i think there's so much in kind of modern culture which is really geared towards trying to ch- just you know be comfortable and yeah not kind of focused on joy that's, and joy is obviously a beautiful thing yeah that's very curious i mean i never knew that as the as a, as a sort of definition of passion you know passion is very much seen in two ways you know have a passion about something pleasurable over something that you'd suffer for yeah and i think you know for me my sort of my relationship with myself and my body as a type 1 diabetic and figuring that out on trails over an extended period of time where you're 
walking at a level where you can kind of you can tailor the amount of of suffering that you're putting yourself through to a like a, a real sweet spot because it's not quite you're not doing an iron man it's not like not you're not like hating life because you're just you're in a hole and you're just pushing through you're you're right on the line between kind of feeling like you, you want to stop because you're so tired and loving the fact that you're keeping going moment to moment and when you reach that kind of almost flow state for me that's that's when hiking really kind of comes into a realm of its own as a as a way of existing in the world that is unlike anything i've been able to find through other sports or other experiences yeah for sure it, it, if you manage to it's hiking for me is a sort of form of meditation a form of movie meditation unlike no other because the re the 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 act of it is so repetitive in itself often that you have no if you really allow your body to settle into that rhythm it's very hard not to get into that sort of meditative state and and the, what i find when hiking and i think this is probably quite common is that the mind wanders to the most curious of places um, and it's almost as your body sort of is moving through the landscape, your mind starts moving through its own internal landscape. And for me, that's a real beauty and pleasure and a, the addictive nature of it, because it's such a rare thing to be able to do that. Totally. In this day and, age. and I, think, I think that it's, it's also what you were saying just now about that rhythm of your footsteps and especially on a multi-day walk where you're in landscapes that are quiet enough for you to be able to really pay attention to that or allow your unconscious mind to kind of be lulled into that kind of hypnotic rhythm. Uh, I think there's something really interesting about the idea that like for thousands of years, maybe tens of thousands of years homo sapiens have been walking like to that rhythm and it depends about what your views are on ancestral memory or epigenetics but i think there's like a really curious idea about the sense that there's something very deeply familiar in our biology about that sound of our own footsteps especially when you're on your own and for me there's that is yeah like a really essential process and soundtrack to getting in in tune with yourself and you hear that expression a lot but that's you know that is really tuning in on a on an auditory level to to your body in a landscape and how it sounds moving across different types of terrain that is for i think modern people really kind of quite quite revolutionary where it's it's quite difficult if you're living in a city to 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 know what that feels like or sounds like mm. Mm. definitely i mean 
for me when sorry I'm a little bit distracted my little boy just came into the room uh, <laughs> so he's, he's, yeah my kids refused to go on to uh, go to sleep tonight um so r- routine a bit broken tonight but anyway um yeah in in regards to the rhythm as well I mean I, I've been reading um, I don't know if you've read it but um, I recommend it given the content of what you're talking about uh, a book called Sapiens um, and I've been reading that recently, and that very much talks about the uh, the history of humanity. Um, in the first section of that, it talks a lot about your sort of early hunter-gatherer humans. And humanity, you know, up until the point where there was the agricultural revolution, where we started to sort of break our natural rhythm, which was, you know, a very primitive rhythm of, you know, get up, move, eat, find food, find camp for the night, very nomadic that was our rhythm for, for millions of years, well, that hundreds of thousands of years, I think would be more accurate, um, until we, you know, we changed that and started farming and creating this busy rhythm that we had um, and putting this enormous strain on ourselves. It really started then. And we now live in a world where there is no rhythm anymore. Your rhythm is just, you know, you, you don't walk anywhere. You drive to work. You know, you sit at a desk. There's no rhythm there. And I think that rhythm is really important. And h- hiking, you know, long-distance hiking in particular, is, is is one of the only ways I know where you can get f- feel that rhythm. You know, you get get up in the morning, you get food on, you walk, you stop for food, you walk again, you find camp, you sleep. And it's so natural. And I think that's the addictiveness of that. I think that's why people enjoy it so much because it's such a unique way of, of experiencing that in relative comfort as well, given, you know, the tech and the, the apparel and the gear we have that allows us to do it fairly comfortably. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's, you know, and I, I said, um, yeah, we said we'd maybe sort of, uh, mention that I'm an actor as well. And I think that through my acting, I tend to, to do quite a lot of workshops where I'm using my body in ways that are, you know, probably quite unique compared to how most people mm. use their bodies in their day-to-day what, job. Yeah, what, what, out of interest, what do you mean by use your body in ways that are unique? What kind of stuff would you be doing? So I think that there will there'll be a lot of physical movement um, sort of built around some kind of simple drama game, uh, dance is a huge part of my my sort of practice of just keeping fit and keeping in tune with my body and staying flexible and I think for you know for, just for me personally uh, I, I play the drums I dance a lot and so and as a type 1 diabetic I really start with my body when I'm approaching a character and all actors are different. Some actors start with their makeup. You know, they can't really get a feel for the character until they start to see what their face is going to look like with the makeup. For me, I'll always start with the body. I'll always start really just experimenting and feeling out how does this person or creature like hold their shoulders? How are they using their toes? to navigate the terrain why is that and having having that as a as a kind of way in for me is is necessary because i am type 1 diabetic so i have 
to take extra consideration of my body into a, into account. Um, but it's also, I think, through walking, it's it's been long distance hiking for me has been like a way for me to kind of rejoin my my mind with my body and that's allowed me to kind of explore my my acting kind of in in that way in that physical way um which which is yeah which is exciting exciting for me and kind of brings all my interests uh together in 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 a way where they're all kind of like feeding into each other and informing each other in in a way that i hope will create interesting and unique performances that's that's curious and that's one of the more interesting experiences of of hiking that i've heard so so thank you so much for sharing that um i don't want to miss the opportunity of course to ask you about your diabetes um you're very of course and rightly so you're very vocal about that and how it impacts you as a walker how you live with it um and how you how, how you can embrace it as well um and the challenges that that kind of presents to you um so for those uh who are not aware of diabetes uh probably speaking for myself um because i um all i know is there's a type one and a type two and you can correct me on this type one is one you're born with or you can develop uh from an early age is that correct um, so it's not not caused by a lifestyle. Type two is caused by a lifestyle choices. Is that correct, or the, the the right way of saying it? Yes, I think I think pretty much. I think there are there are some uh, more niche types of diabetes which kind of don't quite fall squarely into either the type one or the type two brackets um you've got you've got larder uh, which is, is is short for late on late onset um and but yeah very very kind of roughly type 1 diabetes is pretty much hereditary and you can either be born with it or what's also uh, fairly common uh, which was the case with me you will develop type 1 diabetes around the age of 12 or 13 um, and type 2 diabetes is um, is much more lifestyle influenced so it tends to be um, taking a but this is a very very I'm also not a medical professional in in any way so this is a very kind of layman's view of the matter but um, type 2 diabetics are people who are maybe have maybe sort of had a history of eating a lot of carbohydrate based foods um, maybe over the kind of national recommended daily uh, allowance or amount uh, for a long period of time and they've they've essentially built up insulin resistance in their body um, and you know it's it's definitely um, there's you know there are a lot of doctors and scientists who would have a lot to say about whether or not there is a genetic component to type 2 how much it affects it how easy or difficult it is to just kind of switch out 
your lifestyle. Um, but for me, I'm type one. And so I, I can't really you have get rid no of choice, my diabetes, but, uh, yeah. uh, with, with a diet. Whereas, um, you know, at least in most cases with type two diabetes, um, if you had a radical change in your lifestyle, mainly, mainly based on diet and exercise, um, you, you would be able to reverse your diabetes and, um, and, or, or gr greatly improve, um, your body's ability to deal with, um, carbohydrate and glucose. Mm. Okay. Interesting. And what kind of, obviously it's not easy living with, uh, a condition that is uncurable and you have to manage daily, but what kind of relationship have you managed to create with, with diabetes and then following on for that question I guess um, how then do you manage that on the trail as well because that was that's a big part of your walking as you've mentioned before is, is diabetes and you know you've, you've got to do a lot of management and think of things that you, you know the normal person just would not have to think about on the trail for instance keeping an emergency stash, emergency stash of jelly babies handy for sure so yeah maybe I'll just quickly say what diabetes is just in case yeah sure sorry of course go go for it yeah fill, um, fill the gaps so and um, we'll take me as a as a kind of type one diabetic and compare me to you so basically the main difference between us is that your pancreas works and mine doesn't now the pancreas basically deals with sugar and when you eat an apple your pancreas registers that there's some sugar coming into your body and it will deploy insulin to basically deal with that sugar. My pancreas either doesn't work at all or is, is producing such little amounts of insulin that it's negligible. Uh, so I have to inject insulin um exogenously and and supplement supplement my my body um with insulin injections every time i eat and that will basically be quite like a rudimentary way of me bringing my blood sugar down so imagine you've eaten you've eaten the apple and i've, and I've eaten the apple your pancreas you know, will give you some insulin and it will bring your blood sugar down to a healthy, stable level after a couple of hours. If I didn't inject insulin, my blood sugar would go up and it would stay high at a dangerous level, which has a lot of negative impacts on all kinds of different parts of my body. What um, would those impacts be, for example? So it's, it's, it's causing, it's causing a lot of stress, um, particularly on the nerve endings. So the kind of extremities of your body, um, and the very delicate parts of your nerve endings around your eyes, but also at the far ends of your body. So that's one of the reasons why feet and hands are the first things that get amputated for diabetics. Um, it's, there's, there's, a lot of debate about sort of how much it affects things like 
memory and IQ and just general awareness, um, but it's it's having um, a negative enough impact um, on your body that the average diabetic born around the year I was born would have, would have about 11 and a half years less life expectancy than a non-diabetic. And that's because of the high blood sugar and the stress that that's causing to your vital organs, um, that it's, it's slowly just sort of wearing them down, deteriorating them at a faster level than, um, than they would be if, if your blood sugar was steady. So, okay. For and with modern were, medicine, well, just a quick, quick question thrown in the middle yeah. there. If, uh, with modern medicine, has that, has that life expectancy gap closed? Or clo- has it got shorter, sorry? Absolutely. It's, it's coming yeah. down at a rate of knots, which is awesome. And one of the main reasons for that drop has been the, the evolution and introduction of constant glucose monitors, which ah, okay. for anyone watching on a video, uh, this is mine in my arm. It's a little patch with a needle, which has a Bluetooth wrapper around it that I can scan with my phone. And that will tell me, that will give me a reading of exactly what my blood glucose is and also show me what my blood glucose has been doing over the last eight hours. Oh, that's cool. Which compared to how you used to be able to check blood sugar, which was by taking a little droplet of blood and putting yeah. it into the machine must... and you get a yeah. reading. It's... That must be a big change in your lifestyle. Because I'm guessing that having to prick your finger, you know, a few times a day must get tiring. Tiring, um... but also it's almost impossible to, to get any insight into what's actually going on because yeah. we're just given a number and you know so it will say 7.2 now i need to be between like four and seven roughly speaking yeah. okay and 7.2 okay that's what i am now but i don't know if, if it's going up i don't know if it's if i if that's just come down from 13.4 i would need to be testing every 10, 15 minutes and charting all my little numbers on a graph to try and get some actual insight into like what my body is doing. Whereas this glucose monitor, it just allows me to get really granular about seeing exactly what's been happening whilst I was asleep. You, you know, like I can, I can see, oh, at 3 a.m. I had a little blood sugar spike. Why was that? And, you know, try and sort of paint a bit more of a realistic picture about what what my body is doing. That's fascinating. I, lo- I love how technology is, is kind of c- continues to develop and work with long-term illnesses like this. I mean, it's sort of like a Fitbit for, for, for diabetes, really. For sure. And I mean, so it's, it's a really interesting one because like we started off this conversation with a story about how anti-tech uh my my mother was and <laughs> you know i think that if i wasn't diabetic I, I i would be um very very much very much sort of against a lot of the more modern um uh, quantified self crazes 
Uh, but as a type one diabetic, I'm very, very You're all for this. Yeah, for sure. Well, I guess it, it just allows you to monitor your diabetes within the confines of being busy. You're not having to really think about it in quite the same way that you would before. I mean, I'm assuming the app sort of would alert you if you're, you know, um, get, if you got to the point where it, your, your levels were dangerously high, for instance, um, and you did need to take insulin. Exactly, it gives you an alarm when you go too high or too low, and the too low alarm is genuinely a lifesaver because so many type one diabetics die in their sleep. They take too much insulin and they just die. And it, you know that's obviously really tragic. But yeah, of course, yeah. This will send you, this will you know give you an alarm to wake you up, to have some sugar, so that you don't die and that's pretty awesome that's pretty that's remarkable revolutionary for yeah. the diabetic community type ones um you know, you know type still very useful for type twos but but for yeah, the type one community it's such a game oh i'm sure yeah and that's that's incredible your the second part of your question yeah <laughs> the height the, the trail that i walked last year the end to end trail which I did mostly on my own, went through some really remote stretches. And I, I don't know that I would have done it if I hadn't had a constant glucose monitor because the, the number of times when my blood sugar has fallen to a level that I've lost consciousness, um, before I had one of these gadgets was it was enough to make me seriously question whether or not it would be safe to go for an eight day stretch without passing a person. And how long have you had this in for the monitoring device in for? So I've had it now for maybe like five years. Okay, yeah. not was... not too long then. Yeah, so it's still it's still fairly early days, and they're not fully rolled out in the UK or around the world. So you've got to really badger your GP. So type one diabetics, if you're listening, get on the phone to your GP, go in and see them, figure out how can I get this on prescription because it is it is adding weeks and months and maybe years onto your life expectancy worth worth the investment and also saves the healthcare system you coming into hospital you know because of your diabetes sure. as well so yeah for sure like all those a and e beds that were being taken up by type ones having hypoglycemic episodes in the, in the middle of the night and you know needing to be taken to a and e by paramedics and and you know all, all that time and effort and money and bed space that could be being used for people who who you know uh, for just other serious cases like yeah it's it's awesome um and so yeah, yeah sorry go on i'll stop no cool so no no sorry no no all good uh you, you're the, the easiest guest ever because you you've got uh you, you're you're good at just keeping keep going with lots of interesting stuff so it's all good um but i just wanted to ask so with the um with the monitor 
in mind and also the fact that you've spoken about the difficulty you can have with uh, blisters for example on the trail what other kind of things do you need considerations do you have to have on the trail and also um, how do you sort of counter those difficulties um, so tell us about how kind of your how diabetes kind of really did affect you walking the trail go into that a bit more right so yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna have a go at like this question from like a slightly strange angle because okay it's I like been strange angle. more of a recent thing for me uh, to kind of reconsider my relationship with my long-term health condition and my body. And I think that there's like a really interesting relationship between that and going out on trail where I think that, you know, the thing that drew me in and I feel that maybe draws a lot of people is, is nature is that sense of being in a space that feels familiar to the atoms of your body you're like i'm i'm here all this is here we're we're part of the same matter and for type 1 diabetics or for me at least for a long time after I was diagnosed, I had quite a toxic relationship with my body where I felt a bit pissed off. I was like, what? Which what is understandable. Hmm. I think that's, that would be a very common, I think I'd probably feel the same with that situation. So, how, so yeah, how did, how did that, um, yeah, sorry, carry on with that, because that's interesting. Yeah, and well, it was, you know, I think that I can imagine a lot of people have this in some in some capacity. You know, uh, I've got a mole on my face just here, and as an actor, I think that it's very easy to get into a frame of mind that you need to be pristine, that your face needs to be symmetrical and beautiful and you can't have any blemishes and you need to be this example of you know what that yeah. character looks like you need to be a sort of specimen of of perfect humanity i think that's kind of yeah often the the impression you get and so that's just a small thing but you know again for like a while it would annoy me. It would annoy me that I had a mole on my face. I'd be like, screw you, nature. Like, what the fuck is that about? Why have you put a mole there? That's really annoying. I want to be an actor. And I think that at a deeper level, the diabetes was a harder, was a, was a harder thing for me to accept because it it was really affecting me. It was affecting my relationships. It was affecting my mental health. It was affecting the things I wanted to do with my life, like go out and hike beautiful trails on my own and go and have an adventure. And, and I felt like I maybe couldn't do some of the things because I was diabetic and it was a bit too risky and I needed to take my condition seriously. And I had a lot of resentment 
towards the nature that that was my body and i think on the end-to-end trail a lot of the time out there for me was figuring that out and reconfiguring what my relationship with the natural world was because it's very easy to be overly romantic about nature and think that it's all pastoral beauty and everything's so perfect and mother nature knows best and although that is true on a lot of levels nature is also nasty and cruel and dangerous and apathetic like just doesn't really care that much that we're here and when you're in like a vast landscape and you're looking out for me it's the ocean when i see the atlantic ocean on a cold windswept morning i just get filled with this epic smallness i was like whoa you do not care at all that i'm here and there's something so liberating about that and i'd agree with that it's a beautiful perspective to have that isn't it that smallness yeah for sure and a bit like daunting at first when you first you know come into contact with it because it's very easy in a city and with modern technology where you can tailor Spotify to create this like perfect soundtrack to your life. And it's, it's, it's too easy to convince yourself that you are like the hero of, of this movie that is going around in your head. And there's something so humbling about getting out on trail in nature and being slapped in the face by the wind and realizing that that is not true and and i think that it really helped me develop uh, a kinder more holistic relationship to my body where i didn't need for it to be perfect anymore i i kind of became okay with you know, not needing to like Instagramify everything about my life. Like I would go and see that the natural world like was beauty in that messy state that was not quite perfect. It wasn't quite picture postcard. And, and there's that for me as an actor, there's that like, very strange relationship between lived experience and art where we're trying to kind of capture something and we like to tell stories about ourselves and i'm an actor so i'm performing all the time um have a career in storytelling for sure and i think that but when it comes to your body i think it's so easy in western society in particular to to really dislike things about yourself, to find things that are not perfect according to you. And also like, what the fuck do you know about what's beautiful or what's not? But it's so easy if you don't like yourself on some days to find something to beat yourself up about and find a little spot that 
you don't like about yourself and convince yourself that 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 is evidence of you not being good enough and or that you're broken in some way and i think that for me like re-identifying with myself as a type 1 diabetic and being like cool this is me this is my life this is my one beautiful life as a diabetic and i'm going to lead with this now that's interesting that's that's um so so really it was that rawness and the lack of control that you have through nature that really allowed you to start to appreciate yourself and embrace your diabetes and be okay with it rather than be angry with it despite the challenges that it presented to you on the trail as well yeah totally and i think that in terms of challenges on the trail you know you obviously um have to have to contend with the fact that that you know the nature of diabetes in you doesn't really care about like you know whether or not you like it it's still gonna mess up your body and make you feel really terrible if you don't take it seriously so all that yeah. said and just in just the same way that you say the ocean doesn't care if you fall into it it's going to throw you around and beat you up your body and the diabetes is part of nature and it's part of you and I guess it's part of appreciating that it's, you know, something out of your control and accepting that. Am I sort of on the right, in the right kind of area, what you're talking about, just to make sure I'm kind of following? Yeah, absolutely. And I I think that, you know, the whole, and it's maybe slightly cliche to, to kind of say like, you know, that you need to like let go in order to kind of like, you know, get on on to a better um you know relationship with yourself but sort of that kind of desperation to to make diabetes something that it's not or like make it go away or ignore it or control it in in that toxic way i think i think for a lot of diabetics that i know they're maybe still going through that phase where they haven't quite accepted the gravity of how big a lifestyle change this is for them and that's really that's really painful to see them go through that and to be kind of punishing themselves and refusing to accept it sometimes um but for me you know i think on on trail uh i think yeah i needed i came to to that kind of acceptance of myself that then allowed me to to like to to like my body enough to want to take care of it when I was out there, and want to take the safety element of being type one diabetic seriously, and to just talk about that briefly. Basically, I've mentioned before how you can have very low blood sugar as a type one diabetic, and what happens if your blood sugar goes below a certain level is you just lose consciousness. Okay, and which. You on the trail that's not ideal for sure um (laughs) so now that has happened to me on a number of occasions and it's happened to i would say every type 1 diabetic um and it's a very scary very surreal experience and you are a bit helpless and if there are other people around to either give you food or call an ambulance or or just help in some way because 
you've gone down hard and someone just happens to have caught you before you smash your head on the pavement, which which happened to me when I was 18. Um, I've been in multiple scenarios where the general public of London have come together to look after me and save my life because I'm because I'm a type one and I've been in some really dangerous situations. And the prospect of that happening out on the west coast of Scotland, where you're a four day walk away from the nearest road and there's nobody there, nobody's coming to help if you yeah. lose consciousness. That's you just don't want it to happen there, do you? Yeah, that's that yeah, is kind of an, an ending situation for you that happens. Yeah. So and I think that for any type ones thinking about doing a long distance trail through remote landscapes. Now, obviously in the UK, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not quite the PCT or the CDT or the Teherara or like some of the other epic proper wilderness trails, especially in England, you've got, some sort of village maybe every half a day at most yeah um, but you've still got in the sit. You, you could still be in the situation where you've you know you you go unconscious and you know even if there is somebody there they need to know what to do yeah for sure and so it was you know it was particularly the last section of the end-to-end -end trail which takes this beautiful route via the cape wrath trail which I haven't hiked in a lot of countries, but I've I've done a fair bit of traveling. I've been to the Himalayas. Uh, I've I've been to the States. Uh, sort of, you know, walking around Europe. The west coast of Scotland, for me personally, was the most beautiful place I've ever been. And in terms of trail experience it's just magical and the bothy culture which are these little mountain huts that you can stay in if you really need somewhere um to to shelter that night because the weather on the west coast is notoriously volatile like it can be brutal if you get bad weather in scotland so anybody thinking about it like you know don't underestimate it because you're like it's attached to england it can't be that bad yeah. like plan ahead yeah real gnarly up there um and so it was particularly that section just because of the remoteness that i wanted to do but i was a bit scared of of you know going it alone um and i had the opportunity to walk with a group and i decided not to particularly out of a, a desire to kind of just confront the the fear i guess okay sure that's a that's a very bold decision to make though because you kind of put that security blanket of walking with others who know what to do if you get into a situation behind you so did you have any apprehension about doing that or was it yeah, and kind I of think, no brain i think like with a lot of um now you know long distance walking i would never put it in the same kind of bracket as like extreme sports or like or mountaineering or anything like that but uh i think just purely because of the diabetes 
there is like an additional element of risk, obviously, that I needed to take into account. And I think that for me, the main thing was my family and really checking in with them and making sure that they understood that it wasn't an easy decision kind of for me to make because I was so kind of worried about like about them if something happened to me um and I think that on on some level you are making a selfish choice in that scenario where you're putting other people's feelings at risk it's not just your own life obviously uh it's you know it's gonna affect maybe a lot of other people um if something happens to you and like yes it would be epic and beautiful and all that kind of thing but like you know I do think that it's important to try and take that into consideration as much as possible that doesn't mean don't do it but just for me it was it I tried to communicate as best I could to the people I love how important it was for me personally to 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 do this interesting and uh going back a bit as well you 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 obviously had this period of kind of transformation through hiking in terms of coming to terms with with the uh the diabetes as well um sort of how was that before you did the trail or was that during this particular trail yeah i think it was um i think it was during this particular trail and it's been an ever-evolving i've been diabetic since the age of 14 i'm 31 now and you've it's had been... a lot of time to come to terms with it i guess yeah and but i think that there you know i mean i i challenge anybody to to wild camp 2000 kilometers across the uk on their own and not have some kind of big revelation about themselves of course yeah uh it's it's difficult to spend that amount of time alone and not figure something pretty monumental out i i i think and i think that's part of the hope of doing it in itself though as you kind of there is an expectation, and I think it's reasonable when you go into the into long distance hikes of that nature that you're gonna figure something out, and you kind of hope you will as well. And I think most people do, as you say, it's hard not to. Yeah, and I think that you know the only thing I'd and I've just <laughs> I've just said that, and now I'm thinking that the only thing I want to kind of caveat is that I did try as much as I could to really not be too like goal orientated and I think it can be quite easy I think with doing a big hike to go into it with a certain amount of expectation of like I'm gonna go and like all my problems are gonna get like sorted by the trail yeah. by the nature is gonna give I'm me gonna the organize my head into files and I'll feel great when I come out and of I'll it finish and then like the rest of my life is just gonna be a breeze and I think that like for me i really tried to kind of stay curious in in the day-to-day experience of my walk and i think that it is a really for me as an actor i don't have the kind of the routine of a of a job to to go to like every day i wake up and i'm just hit with a wave of existential angst about like what am I doing today? 
am I like speaking to this agent? Do I like, do I have an audition coming up? Like, should I be preparing for this? Maybe I should be applying for this play with this director. And I'm, and I'm, you know, obviously I'll have like a rough kind of game plan, but I think that I am, I am jealous some days of, of people who are able to kind of go to work with the same colleagues who are like kind of their mates and they and they kind of and they kind of know like what they're doing that day for in terms of like their productive output and for me like the trail provided a really healthy bit of structure to my life where I woke up each morning and I didn't and there's no question about what you're doing that day it's so simple about what your goal is for that day and I think there I think that for somebody like me who's who's really anxiety prone I think that can be such a beautiful thing to relax you enough so that you can stop kind of thinking in that very neurotic goal focused way like what am I going to do how am I going to do this what about this and just like breathe into the experience a bit because like you've got 20 miles to do and just let the let the day kind of like sink into you and that rhythm we were talking about and the boredom like long distance walking can be boring and that is such a an important and beautiful precondition for the imagination to really open up and for your unconscious mind to expand into your body and for you to like actually start having some like proper ideas or conversations with yourself like yeah so and so I think that you know I think that having like the goal of like cool I'm gonna walk this walk but then trying to forget it almost as soon as you start walking is would be like the my advice for like how to not be too like okay I've got to get to this place today and I'm gonna do like this exact amount of miles and for me wild camping really gave me that freedom where you have your tent and you're self-sufficient in a way that allows you to kind of walk until you feel ready to stop or until the, the the sun tells you you can rest now and there's something really lovely about walking you know in the spring or the autumn um or for for the like crazy long distance um walkers who are able to able to do full something <laughs> like get up at yeah. three and like pace it yeah. three to nine like good for you guys yeah go um, kudos <laughs> But, you know, so like spring and autumn is such like a beautiful time to, to go walk all day and have your body just be led by by the sunrise and the sunset and, and to like feel moving, into rhythm. Yeah, moving with that rhythm of nature is is definitely wonderful. I think that's the reason that the, the spring and the autumn are certainly the, the seasons of, of the long distance walker. Mm-hmm. Um that's fascinating. I'm going to wrap it up real soon, um, just because we're sort of within an hour. Um, but this conversation has been incredibly, 
authentic and honest. Uh, thank you to you. So I appreciate um, that and the huge amount of vulnerability you brought to this as well, um, particularly around uh, the your diabetes and how you, you live with that as well. Um, I just want to want us to sort of uh, more uh, straight up questions, if I may, just about the the trail as well, and also sort of your plans for the future, because I think people are listen to to my guests generally kind of want to know where what they're doing next to kind of follow on your your kind of continued journey um so sort of how long with the end-to-end trail question number one how long with the end with the end-to-end trail um did you take to to walk it so i set off uh on the Sorry, and just Matthew, I I lost you there for a second. So was the question just how long it took me to walk? Yeah, sorry. Right. So, yeah, uh, yeah. How long did it take you to walk the trail? Is curious. Yeah, and also um, as well, if I may, I throw another question in there. We do have time. Um, why that particular trail? Yeah, so it was it was two and a half months. So I set off on the seventh of April, and I I left from England like at that time, uh, which is quite early to be walking along the Southwest Coast Path, which is the first section. It's pretty cold if you go in early April, or it can, it can be as it was when I walked. So my first two weeks were real frosty. Um, and then it was two and a half months. So I took it fairly steady. Um, you, could definitely, you could definitely do it a bit quicker. You could definitely take a lot longer. I also took some detours, so I went by Glastonbury, which isn't part of the official route. Um, and I also, I wanted to walk the whole of the Pennine Way, uh, whereas the end-to-end trail official route misses out the first five miles and the last five miles of the Pennine Way. So, like, you know, it's a it's a fairly easy detour if anybody is wanting to kind of include like the whole Pennine Way um, as, as part of it. I'd never walked the Pennine Way before. So like, I was like, this is, I'm just, I can't, it'd be silly not to start. Um, but the detour to Glastonbury was not easy. It is that bit of like Somerset is not at all catered for <laughs> long distance walking. Mm, uh, in what way? Well, you're just basically, so Somerset, the county, takes its name from the fact that it used to be almost all underwater. So it was only okay. for Somerset, a link. And so you've got these series of dikes that are used to drain the Somerset levels. And they're all around Glastonbury Tour, which gives this like epic view when you're up there. But to get to Glastonbury from the Mendip Hills which is where I left the end-to-end trail. I mean, there's just like a lot of random road walking, which is not that not that safe, not that enjoyable. Like for me, I'd, I'd pick the end-to-end trail. And what is great about the end-to-end trail, in my opinion, is Andy Robinson, who put the trail together via Cicerone Press, like, maybe like three years ago, so it's really new. Okay, I didn't realise that. How new it was. He stitched together, a, you know, a, about a, an about an as an off road route as it's possible to to do from Lands End to to Duncan's Head or John O'Groats. Um, That's what you want. Yeah, 
and for me like you know like if you're if you want to break like a speed record from land's end to the greats you've got to take the roads uh but i can't think of anything worse than oh it sounds miserable a long tarmac yeah yeah for sure yeah uh i mean my knees yeah, how, just how to just, how to mentally break yourself walk on tarmac for days on end <laughs> yeah uh so yeah there was a really small amount of tarmac which was was lovely and and this bit where i deviated i was desperate to go by glastonbury it was a really important kind of kind of stopping stone for me along this little personal pilgrimage i was on and so you know the that was worth it, but the actual route to get there, maybe someone can find a better way. Uh, once you're in Glastonbury, there's a lovely little little bit up past Wells and the cathedral there's beautiful and you're going through the woods and you go via the ancient Avalon oak trees that were used in, in Druidic ceremony. So like that's all great. And you're back onto the Mendip um, Hills by Cheddar and you're back on the end to end trail and like that's all groovy but but that particular bit was a bit was a bit bleak um so yeah and two and a half two and a half months and i finished on i really pushed the last three days so i did like 33 34 40 miles for my last three days because i was trying to finish on summer solstice hmm. and, and did, did you then finish on summer solstice yeah, so the last, so I walked through the okay. night on the last day yeah. and I was a mile from the end and the sun was coming up and there was a oh, stunning of orcas down in the water and I just sort of stood and watched them as the sun was rising and then I carried on to the end and it was a, it was a really beautiful, just beautiful day. My, my best, you know, my my best mile was that last mile and that that moment kind of you know arriving uh i think it can be quite dangerous where like a lot of people expect to like feel something yeah for sure um and i think maybe because i'd i'd let myself i'd really tried to train myself to not have an expectation for like what I was there to get out of the walk. I, I, I got to my, my last point and I stopped walking and I took off my pack and I just was filled with this sense of pride in myself. And for me, like something like the end to end trail, it's such a beautiful thing and it can be a little bit selfish. It can be, you know, there's lots of reasons for why people want to go and explore or be outside or be in nature or figure something out. But I think one of the unexpected effects for me was this feeling of being able to point at something and be like, hell yeah, I did that. And feel just proud of myself for getting through it and getting to the end and not giving up and all that kind of stuff and with yeah with the additional challenges which most people don't have as well to go with that yeah and I I think that like you know I think that um you know and I I know I'm 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 rambling on um but the end to end no no not at all carry on (laughs) 
as like as a hiking experience is is really wonderful because you you get to pass through Britain, which has such an interesting makeup of all these different factions and stories. There's old, old history in the buildings and in the paths and you're you're hearing all these different accents like evolve as you move your way up through the counties and the terrain is is varied um and you know there's like there's enough there's there's enough of each kind of landscape to to like satisfy a lot of tastes i think the one the one area that I would actually say is a bit like, you know, questionable for me is uh, whether or not it's a bit too safe. Okay. And I walked for, I, I raised some money for rewilding Britain. Um, and one of the kind of like more high level projects that's maybe in the distant future is that they would like to reintroduce wolves to Scotland and I think for me, I came I came to walking the end-to-end trail because of COVID and I was initially intending to do the PCT and then didn't get my visa and then nobody could travel. And I was like, cool, okay, I'm going to see like whether there's something similar closer to home. And, but I can imagine I haven't done any like long multi-day walks out in the States, but that that slight threat of there being a bear or a mountain out there in in you know the same area as you i think that um maybe levels the the that feeling of adventure up just slightly which i think that in the uk it's really nice because like you're gonna be fine like it creates a primal fear though doesn't it we don't get that primal fear because nothing in the uk is going to eat you but if you're yeah, exactly. in america and you know there's something that could you know pull you, pull you out your tent in the middle of the night which happens sometimes at very very rarely that's a real primal fear and you and that's not a bad thing to get in touch with yeah i totally agree and yeah it's not and it's not because i yeah and i think it's not because like i'm a I'm like a like a daredevil or like a fear junkie or anything like that. But that it's that slight fear can be a really interesting thing when it is like yeah, when it's just on the edge uh of of being where you're like having to push yourself just a tiny bit outside your comfort zone and you're you're getting to experience yourself being a little bit brave. Yeah on a regular yeah. basis that yeah it forces you to challenge that emotion as well and and to, to regulate that emotion mm-hmm. yeah which i think is an important skill for life in general is just to regulate emotion for sure um so you know that's that's my only but like it's also like a plus for the uk you know it's it's so quaint like when you're walking through 
Cornwall and Devon, and you can like stop and have a cream tea by the sea in this gorgeous cobbled village where the residents have to take their bins up on sledges because it's so steep and there's no cars there. You're like, this is real cute. Yeah. It's postcard perfect, isn't it, really? In some <laughs> yeah. places. Yeah. yeah, in some in some bits. And also like the British landscape, um, you know, it it does it does have like a real unique beauty to it. There's something there's something about, you know, and I think obviously like I'm in I'm a I did English literature at, at an undergraduate level. So, you know, like reading a lot of Tom Hardy and Bronte and Jane Austen and and kind of, you know, it's difficult to not imagine yourself in those kind of landscapes. And then when you actually get out to Wuthering Heights or, you know, to the Highlands of Scotland or, yeah, the, the Glastonbury or the little coastal villages along the coast path, it's difficult to, to, to not imagine yourself in it in like The Hobbit or something. Yeah, sure, sure. That's interesting. Um, and in terms of your future plans, obviously you've done this trail, you've had a bash at the Cleveland Way. Um, is it more long distance hiking on the cards or are there any other adventures on foot or otherwise that you've got your kind of your heart set on? So I have been, I've been slowly kind of uh, doing some section hikes of national trails in england so right way to do it um so i've been doing been doing uh some some bits of the thames path some bits of the southwest coast path that i didn't get to walk as part of the end-to-end um part of the cotswolds way um and and what and because i'd done quite a lot of the routes like i walked a good bit of the offers dyke Pennine Way, obviously, you walk the West Highland Way and a lot of the Cape Wrath Trail as part of the end-to-end trail. Um, I do have as a long-term thing on the horizon that I'd I'd love to slowly have at least stepped along all the national trails in England, Wales, and Scotland. Um, and then I'm gonna I need to have a look at how many I need to add onto that list if I'm going across the water to Ireland, but like, obviously, um, you know, they've got like the, um, is it the Wicklow way? Yeah. Um, Wicklow way and the like, uh, rubbish of Ireland trails, but yeah. Some gorgeous routes out that way. So, uh, I think for me, I'm, I'm going to, uh, I've got a, uh, been offered a place at the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama. Uh, so I'll be training. Thank you. I'll be, I'll be training, um, and that's going to be my actor training for a year. It's going to be really intensive, like mm. all day, every I'll, day. And yeah. that's going to dominate, dominate the next year of your life then with that. Yeah. So for this yeah. next year, like I'll, I'll definitely, you know, be, be hiking regularly. Uh, I'm going, I'm going up to Sweden this weekend to visit my sister and hopefully you know, walk some of, um, some of the King's trail out there. So, but I think, yeah, for this, for this next year, it's going to be, it's going to be really focused on, on my acting training, um, with some hiking to, to help me, help me relax. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. That sounds like a nice fluid plan as well. And, uh, how old did you say you are? Because I'm 31. 31. Are you? You look way younger. Oh, thanks buddy. 
Yeah. Like, <laughs> going, yeah. going, going back to acting school at this age. Yeah, for sure. You look way younger. You look so like sort of twenty four or something. Oh shush you. Uh, yeah, you do. Honestly, you look. It's, it's, it's the uh, it's the actor face you see. <laughs> the blushing actor face. Yeah, yeah, blushing actor face. Yeah. Oh, well, fantastic. Well, um, I think a good place to uh, to wrap it up. So, uh, as I said, uh, oh, 18 minutes ago when I tried to wrap it up, but we kept on going, which is all good. Uh, <laughs> um, thank you uh, for coming on. Uh, as I said, your honesty um, and authenticness about, you know, on this podcast has been amazing. Uh, great guest because I've asked questions and you've rolled with them. So, yeah, brilliant. So thanks so much for coming on. Um, thanks so much where, it's been a total pleasure. Um, where can people find out a bit more about you? So yeah, probably the best place at the moment is my Instagram. Um, so I'm now I'm I'm now I've been going as wild diabetic for a while, but I'm I'm switching to more of an acting focus. So I'm I'm Charlie McRae underscore actor. Nice, brilliant, fantastic. And, yeah, really so like uh, updates on that. Yeah, fantastic. All right, that's great. So uh, leaves uh, everybody with somewhere to find you. Um, well, thank you so much uh, for joining me today and um, good luck with uh, your acting school with a very, uh, I guess 30, 31 is quite late to be doing that. But you know what? I've just had a career change too and you're never too old to do the thing you want to do. Exactly. And so take a punt at it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So we'll, we'll finish on that. All right, thanks so much, Charlie. Thanks, Matthew. Cheers, thanks. Bye. Right. Welcome back. How did you find the show? I really hope that you enjoy listening to Charlie speak. I had a fascinating conversation with him. I really, really enjoyed recording the episode. So thank you, Charlie, again for joining me. Now, I've got guests booked in tomorrow and guests booked in for Thursday. That is Wednesday the 7th, I think. He scrolls over to his calendar and has a look. Yes, the 7th. Um, and the 8th so I've got two days worth of guests booked usually I book in one guest a week but this week two uh, due to some shuffling around of things um, that's just how it's landed so I've got more guests coming podcast continues there are no episodes of, sorry there are no seasons for this podcast at the moment it's just one continuous once a fortnight show which I'm really excited to be sort of producing this continuous show for you now a little bit about support of the show I need to have a word of you. If you are a long-term listener to the podcast and you enjoy the podcast, there's one thing I want you to do for me. One thing. If you're listening to the podcast on Spotify, simply click subscribe. It just tells Spotify that people are enjoying the show, listening to it, and it will present the show to more people. If you are a listener on Apple, just write a review. If you think it's rubbish, you know what? Tell me. It's fine. I won't be hurt. If you think it's great, tell me. If you think it's average, tell me. Just write a review. I'd such appreciate a review. Again, it just tells the Apple algorithm that you enjoy the show and that it's worth listening to for other people. It just really, really helps. It's less of my validation and more just for growing the show because the show is growing. It's reaching more and more people, but it does need a little bit of a push. It needs some reviews. If you really, really, really enjoy the show and are in need of a gift, I've got an Etsy shop, which I'm slowly building up, which you can access by going to distancehiker.com and clicking the shop button at the top. From there, there's trail prints. I'll be adding some more merchandise soon. And the money from that simply just goes into supporting the show, 
I want to improve my sound quality, which means getting some padding, changing my desk around a little bit. I'd quite like to upgrade this microphone because I'm not sure it's that good. Um, get a few extra bits to improve the audio quality. But actually, I really want to get out on the trail and start doing podcasting person with people. And that just requires a little bit of extra specialist kit that can survive the bumps and knocks that taking this outside would possibly present. So your support in whatever form it comes, even if it's just a message to tell me you enjoy the show is so, so welcome. And the fact that you're listening to this is a gift. So thank you so much for your listening ears today. And that concludes the episode. And I look forward to speaking to you again in a couple of weeks time. Whatever you're doing for the next day or the rest of your day, have a fantastic time and I will speak to you again real soon. Bye.